Psalms 85. In just a few moments, uh, we'll begin looking at that passage and several others tonight as we continue our series on Ephesians. Even though as this travels along, you may doubt whether or not we're studying Ephesians tonight, but we really are. You'll see when we kind of wrap it around a little bit. I understand that yesterday was a tremendous ladies' day, that there were so many of you ladies that came and were a part of that and tremendously blessed. Many of our young ladies were here. I enjoyed visiting with my daughters last night and them telling me all about the the speaker yesterday and the tremendous job that she did and the great insight that she brought into their lives. God blesses us richly with wonderful opportunities. And some of the great opportunities that we have being here in Middle Tennessee especially is the opportunity to hear so many tremendous speakers. With that in mind, be sure and remember that next month, the third Sunday of the month, is Family Day. And we have another tremendous speaker coming in that will be spending the day with us. Our young people will know him very well, Lonnie Jones. He is a tremendous speaker And he comes to us from Alabama, and you will want to be here, and you'll want to make sure that your family is here. I was talking to some of your family members just the other day, and I already told them about it. And they said, I'm going to put that on the counter, and I'm going to come up and see my family that weekend. So you might ought to make room in the house. But if I haven't invited your family for you, you be sure and do that, because I didn't get around to everybody. But you will want you and your family to be here on that day. So go ahead and give them a month's notice so that uh, they can be making the plans on that. Back to the ladies' day. Each of you ladies that took part in leading that. There was a lot of hours of work that put into that. We appreciate so much uh, what you have done and what you ladies continue to do to make the life of this congregation a great success. Also tonight, over a hundred individuals will be shown their appreciation through a banquet. We appreciate so much uh, those of you that work with Meals on Wheels each week and throughout the entire year. What a blessing that is to so many and what a blessing it is Uh, to have that available to those that we love and care about, to be able to at least go in and encourage them once a week with a warm meal. It's exciting to think about inner city ministry off uh, to a great start. It's exciting to think about the work in Purlington going so very well. Let's make sure that we find our place and we simply give God our best in His service. The other day I noticed an interesting story on msn.com. It was about a book that's coming out this fall, and I hope you realize as I refer to this book, it's written by A.J. Jacobs. I'm not recommending the book at all. I want you to see, though, a sharp contrast in two books, and then think about our own lives as we think about the theme of revival. You see, a while back, he wrote a book, The Know-It-All, and it made a big splash on the scene because he spent one year reading every word of the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. He wanted to become the smartest man alive. So he devoted a year of his life to do that, and then he wrote about it. And he works in the publishing business in New York, and so it made for a great sale. Well, he decided that he would give another year-long venture to something and then write a story about it. Well, he decided that he would spend a year following every commandment in the Bible, and then he would write about it. Well, his book is coming out. Uh, either now or very soon. Now, keep in mind, he didn't obey every command in the Bible because if he had, he would have realized that in the new covenant is fulfilled and the old covenant is done away with. But nevertheless, in his understanding, he came up with what he believed were 700 commandments taught of God and he decided to follow them. One, it must have been a part of the Nazarite vow and he decided not to take a razor to his face and that's why you see the images of him there. Also, he 
when asked what was the hardest aspect of living by every command in the Bible, I thought it was interesting that he noted, he said, not to covet, not to lie, and not to gossip. He said, you have to understand, in the publishing business in New York, we do that all throughout the day. He said, I was really devoted to obeying every command in the Bible. And he said, it was a hard uh, thing to break. It was a hard habit. It was hard actions to change in my life. When asked about something that he appreciated, he said he appreciated the fact of gratitude. He never realized before in his life that we should be thankful for things. He said, I'd go through the day, and if one or two things went bad, I used to think the whole day was bad. And he said, now I realize that I'm supposed to spend my life looking for things to be grateful for. And so he said that changed the way he thought in that way. When asked which one you can learn the most from, the Encyclopedia Britannica or the Bible, he said, definitely the Bible, because it will change every aspect of your life. You say, wow, this must have done this man a lot of good. No. You see, he's agnostic when he started, and he said, now the best you could say is maybe I'm just a reverent agnostic now. Now, I don't make light of that when I say that, friends. But there's a sharp contrast in this next book that I'm about to tell you about. That's just a fictional book. Many of you have read this next book, but there's something missing in A.J.'s book. You see, the next book that I simply want to make reference to by way of introduction is Charles Sheldon's book, In His Steps. It's a fictional novel. In this novel, I suggest the book to you, but you have to read it understanding there are some things that's doctrinally wrong with this minister that serves in this church. He calls himself reverend. He has musical instruments and some things like that that I believe are completely in violation with the Word of God. Let me give you just a a minute or a minute and a half summary of this book and notice the difference, and then we'll get into a more important book. There was a beggar in the time of the Depression that came around looking for help. He was desperate. He went throughout the town asking what was very very often church members of this high society church, pristine church in this town. No one would help him. He even went by the minister's house, and the only thing that he offered him was a kind word. Almost dead. He walked in at the very close of the worship service as they were singing a song about giving their all to Jesus Christ. He made his way to the very front, and after the singing of that song, he spoke a few words. He wasn't scolding the audience at all. It was more of a curiosity. He said, I don't understand Christianity. I'd like for somebody to be able to tell me what Christians should do. My wife and I were tenants in a home. It was owned by Christians, and they watched her die as we had nothing. I had to place my daughter in another family's care while I went from house to house looking for work because I worked as a printer, and the place that I worked shut down. He said, as soon as I find a place to work, I'm going to establish another home site, and I'm going to go back and get my daughter. But right now... I just wonder what Jesus would do if a poor person knocked on their door. And with that question, the man literally collapsed. A medical doctor in the audience cared for him. They picked him up and they took him to the home of the minister. This sparked the thought in the minister's mind. What would happen if for a solid year, a person, before they made any decision, asked the question, what would Jesus do? 
believing that that would truly be how God would want us to obey every command, he took that challenge back to the church and asked the ones that had interest in trying that to meet after services. A small group began meeting after services, agreeing that they would not decide for each other, but yet each would commit that for this length of time, they would make every business decision, every family decision, and every individual decision in their life based upon what would Jesus do. I remember my mother reading me this book when I was a small boy. I remember it changing the way I thought about the Christian life. He walks through the lives of several individuals and how their life was never the same after they decided to start doing what Jesus would ask them to do. Friends, what's the contrast in those two books? Both books speak about obedience. One book approached it because of our Lord. And the other book approached it completely without a commitment to the Lord. I want to ask you who you are tonight. Are you religious? I want to ask you if you see religion as just rules, but you have forgotten the Lord. I want to ask you if you see yourself as faithful. Faithful to ministries. Faithful to attend the services. Faithful to be a good friend to other people. But have we forgotten the Lord? Friends, as we think about revival, the word revival means simply to be made alive. It's the idea to keep alive, to leave alive, to make alive. And it does also involve to make alive again. But the idea of revival always meaning restoration is not true. You see, all of us ought to always want revival in our life because that means we're saying that we always want to live in life. But where does it begin? I hear so oftentimes within the brotherhood, people talk about revival and they'll say, we just need better programs. We need, we need to organize more programs of evangelism. We need to be more efficient in our programs. We need to get greater involvement of our people. As if those things are going to create revival. Friends, that is the cart before the horse. I ask you tonight, what creates revival? Let's notice what the Lord links with revival in a couple of passages. And we could read many in the Bible, but let's go to Psalms 85. In Psalms 85 and verse 6, he's talking about a plea of revival in the land. In 85 and 6, he says, Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Key words you're always going to note with revival. You're going to see rejoicing linked with it, mercy linked with it, salvation linked with it, but you're always going to find the Lord linked with it. Notice again where he says, will you not revive us again? A program will not revive us. The position of being an elder or a deacon or a Bible class teacher or over some committee, that position will not revive us. The only thing that can revive us is the Lord. 
Turn back to Psalms 51. And Psalms 51 is a tremendous passage of revival. And this is literally restoration to be made alive again. It's where David had committed the darkest days of his life where he had committed adultery and then had her husband, Bathsheba's husband, murdered. And now Nathan has come and he's revealed his eyes, opened his eyes so that he could see that he is the man worthy of death, that sin has separated him from God. And what he wants in verse 7 of Psalms 51 is that he wants to be purged from sin and to be cleansed from sin. What we see in verse 8 is he wants to have the joy of gladness restored. What he wants in verse uh, 10 is to create a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And what he wants in 11 is for the Lord not to cast him away. And then notice in verse 12, in verse 12 he says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Let's go to the next slide. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And uphold me with your generous spirit. And notice this. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted to you. What do we see here? A man that's broken in sin. A man that knows he cannot take away the guilt of his own sin. A man that his heart has been broken. And notice it was broken by God. The chastisement of God does not bring joy at the moment. But he knows that later it's going to bring joy. And so his plea is restore. That's the same as revival. Restore unto me what? The joy of what? Your salvation. Only Jesus can bring revival. It's important for churches to be efficient in their ministries. It's important to have people dedicated to the work of the Lord. But friends, if right now I'm sitting with guilt of sin in my life that I have not had God to forgive, I'm not going to become so busy in the work of the Lord that I simply become revived. Revival is to stop and to say, Lord, I start with you. I'm cleansed through you. I give you my all. And that's when we find joy, mercy, and grace. How many times has Satan fooled us into believing all we need to do is just get a little more busy? Just do a little more and your guilty conscience will be relieved. When really the Lord's plan of redemption is always to start with him. Can you imagine someone who has a brain tumor and a surgeon comes by and offers a surgery that could relieve them of this that is endangering their lives? And that person says, I tell you what, I'd like to just think about this for a day. Can you come back tomorrow? And the surgeon drops by tomorrow and says, are, are you ready for us to, to uh, schedule that surgery? And the person says, no, I tell you what, I've been thinking about that a whole lot. And what I'd rather is, I'd rather you just give me some strong Tylenol because I really don't mind the tumor being there. I just don't want the headaches. Do what now? You only want to address the symptoms? You don't want to go back to the source? 
Friends, that's exactly what happens in our life when we believe that revival comes about through getting busy in the work of the Lord instead of saying, I need to start with the Lord. What do revived people do? Revived people help other people be revived. And so it is, we need revived people that's busy in the work of the Lord because they can help other people become revived also. If you would be turning to Acts, the 18th chapter. As you're turning to Acts, the 18th chapter, I'd like to remind you of something. Do you notice that when we read in the book of Acts, we don't see anyone coming to the Lord on their own? There's always someone who is revived that God is using to help bring that person to the Lord. Now, we're studying through Ephesians on Sunday night for a while. When we think about the church of Ephesus, where did it begin? When we first start reading about it, it is in Acts, the 18th chapter. Where is some of the revival in the life of that church going to come from? Well, at this point in the lesson, it's no surprise that it's going to, become, it's going to come from revived people. Notice, if you will, this revived couple as we read Acts, the 18th chapter, verse 24, 25, and 26. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. What a beautiful thought. Here we see a preacher getting his ministry on the right track because of a dedicated and revived couple. Now, the blessing for the kingdom was this minister was receiving compliments that nobody else in the scriptures ever received. We don't have another minister that's ever described in the scriptures as eloquent of speech and mighty in scripture. But now, what did this couple do? They cared for his soul. You see, that's what revived people do. People that aren't revived get involved in conversations with people to win arguments. People who are not revived get involved in ministries just because they feel like it's something they ought to do, and so they serve. But they don't always have the right motive. Notice the right timing and the right way and the right result. Did you notice the right timing there? Whenever they heard him there in 26, they took him aside. And then notice the right way they explained. And the result was he was taught the way more accurately. Our motives... Whether or not we're revived and we want others to be revived changes the way we approach almost everything. If you heard a man that was eloquent in speech and mighty in Scripture teach something that was wrong, what would be your response? Would you think, I'll leave that up to Apostle Paul. He better handle this one. Would you think, Well, he ought to know better. I'm just going to be sure and tell everybody else not to go listen to him because he doesn't have the plan of salvation right. 
Or do we have individuals like Aquila and Priscilla? He says, you know, we need to pull this fellow aside. You see, they didn't want to bring up embarrassment and barriers of defense. They wanted to pull him aside. Nobody's perfect. Every preacher and every teacher is going to need individuals in their lives that's willing to steer them correctly. Every preacher. But friends, in the four-year after service is not the time to do it. I think back to someone who is not here any longer. I think back to one of those occasions that Satan had to be involved in it. I've been working on setting up a Bible study with an individual. And finally, that individual visited. I stepped inside these back doors to catch them right after the amen so that I could try to complete setting up that Bible study. I got within arm's length of them and we made eye contact and we started to speak when someone stepped in the middle of us abruptly and began to chew me out. The one I was trying to set up the Bible study with, their eyes got wider and wider. And then finally they just kind of ducked down and they walked away. In this particular case, there were some false accusations made. My heart broke that day. Not for myself that day. My heart broke that someone that ought to know better decided to do perhaps a good thing in a wrong way. But friends, we never just hurt ourselves when we do wrong. We always hurt other people. I need to think about, am I trying to put somebody in their place? Am I trying to win a debate? Am I trying to win a soul? Aquila and Priscilla were revived people. The reason I say that is because every time we see them in the Scriptures, they were faithfully serving their God. We see their hospitality, we see their servanthood, and we see their commitment. And it's revived people that strive their best to find the right time to do the right thing for the benefit of God. They didn't call someone down so that they could appear to be smart in private because they loved the Lord, they loved Apollos, and great good was done. What else do we know about this couple? Look with me, if you will, to Romans, the sixth chapter. And as we read this, I'd like to mention to you a few other things that we know about this couple. How do we know that they were revived? We know that they were willing to open up their house. As a matter of fact, the passage you just left in Acts, the 18th chapter, if you read the first three verses of Acts, the 18th chapter, you'd read about a time where Paul moved to Corinth and Aquila and Priscilla allowed this missionary to live with them in their house. Are you willing to use your house for God's glory? Are you willing to let a missionary move in and stay with you? But not only that, when they lived in Rome, they were willing to use their house for the church to meet. And you say, wow, well, that's once a week. A lot of things in the New Testament point to the fact that they might have gotten together as often as once a day. 
but yes, at least once a week. And when they moved to Ephesus, they used their house again for the church to meet in. You see, we see their dedication. We see them always mentioned together. We see them always working together. We see their hospitality, but also we see their commitment. Look in Romans, the 16th chapter, in verse 3, 4, and 5. Greet Aquila and Priscilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Wow, this is one of those things where you kind of want to shake Paul and say, Paul, how could you do that? You bring up such a powerful fact, but you don't give us any detail. What do you think Aquila and Priscilla did where they literally risked their own lives for the benefit of the missionary Paul and his ministry? That's commitment. You know what? A lot of Aquilas would say today, a lot of Christian men. And if this was a Bible class, we could have a good discussion. I'll just bring it out, but I can't settle it for you. But a lot of us today would say, oh, I can't do that. I I can't endanger the life of my wife. Well, God certainly wouldn't want me to endanger the life of my wife to further the kingdom. Oh, I guess in God's book, he prays something that's not good. Now we're back to which is most important, the spiritual or the physical. Now we're back to that discussion of commitment. Really, how committed are we? Now we're back to where does that commitment begin? We don't ever find that kind of commitment because we find it through a program or through a work. We find that kind of commitment when people find the Lord. And when we learn to walk like our Lord, step in step with our Lord, we realize that there's nothing more important than Him and His work. I know that's difficult to hash through, and I'm not telling you I found all the answers to that. That's just an interesting observation. When we go back to Acts the 19th chapter, we see a revived preacher reaching a group of individuals that had only been reached by Paul, by John's baptism. And they were revived as they found Christ's baptism. When we go to Acts, the 20th chapter, we see a group of elders that were very much alive, but yet Paul, a revived preacher, wanted to make sure that even in the future that they remained alive. And so he commended them to God and to His Word. But when we go to Revelation, the second chapter, we read about the Lord addressing this same church. And we're moving this lesson to a close here. And and just stay with me for a minute and think about this. As by now the church has gone several decades in existence. When we look in and read about what Paul wrote to the Ephesus, it seems like a very strong and mature church. This church seems very much alive and revived. But can that ever change? Look in Revelation, the second chapter, and see how this can change. He's talking in verse 1 to the church of Ephesus, and he has something. And and if you're reading in your Bible right now, you notice these are red letters. A lot of people think the only red letters are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the Lord has something to say to the church of Ephesus and the other six churches of Asia. And notice what he says to them in verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. 
And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And now he he reiterates again in three, you have persevered, you have patience, and I have labored for and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. What compliments? They're not doing anything wrong, are they? He says, look at these ministries you have. Look how hard you're working in them. Your works, your labor. And look how you've done it decade after decade. Why? From the time you started, you've been a church that's worked, 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 worked. How many times, for good reason, can we say, I'm thankful to be in a church that works hard in the kingdom? He's not saying that's bad. Is that enough? Is there a way to do the right work in the wrong way? Maybe even the right work in the right way with the wrong motive. Read the next verse. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. What would be a Christian's first love? What would be the Lord's church first love? First and greatest commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. To ever follow Jesus Christ, we have to deny self, take up our cross and follow Him. They had all the work ticking just like the work in the church was supposed to tick. False apostles would come along and they would test them and say, we don't allow false doctrine here. Sorry, you'll have to go. Or either you'll have to repent and come to the truth. The truth, hardworking. And the Lord says, I'm going to remove your candle if you can't get this one right. I know how you used to love me. And that love for me is no longer there. Friends, I have to really mull this one over. It's almost like it's simple, but it's almost like it's not. Can people that come to church three times a week and work hard in the work of the Lord and invite their neighbors to come to church, can they honestly be people that's lost their love for the Lord? According to Scriptures, they can. It may sound strange. But we have to ask ourselves, do I really love the Lord? Am I revived and alive because I love the Lord? The last words in the book of Ephesians, he says, Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Grace, that is how we have revival. Grace be to all those who love the Lord in sincerity. That's not just seriousness, that's singleness. This evening, can I say... I rejoice because I'm saved. I realize that salvation comes through Jesus. 
And I approach everything in my life because I love the Lord and He first loved me. I believe we've got a great congregation here. I believe we have a congregation that Satan would like to harm. I know we're workers. Let's just make sure individually that we don't lose focus of the one, the only one. If you've never been baptized into Christ, or if you have and you've lost focus, it's the Lord's invitation. He'd love to revive us all. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.